This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here also. Um, we're one of 10 congregations that are throughout the state of Arizona. Uh, so you can go to redemptionaz.com. One thing that you need to know about us is we believe all of life is all for Jesus. We, we love to think about, believe in, trust in, have his spirit living within us, but also we want to live those things out in every area of life. Go check out redemptionaz.com. I'm so thankful to be a part of Redemption Church in this city. In this city. Such a huge blessing. Also, if you are new with us, we do love to preach through the Bible. So if you need a Bible, even if you're not new with us and you didn't bring your Bible today, um, just raise your hand. We want to get a Bible in your hands. And, and, and the reason why is because we want you to, to have that. We want you to read along and see that. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. If you do and you just forgot to bring it today, make sure to get a Bible in your hands. You can open your apps or your Bible, whatever it is, to, to uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 is where we're going to be today. While you're going there, let me make a couple of quick announcements. One is I just want you all to know I love being a part of this church. You all are family to me, and I'm so thankful for you. I really do. Yesterday was a huge blessing as I got to do another wedding for a part of our family, and uh, I know there's a lot of people getting married here coming up, and so it's a joy for, for me uh, to be a part of, of those kinds of events. It just it just stirs in me the, the thankfulness to be a part of this community. One of the ways that we want to uh, be known for, or to not just be known, but to, to really live into the reality of prayer and worship. So tonight, uh, we, we try to take at the beginning of every month a time for RCs to, to come together and do something corporately. We've done classes, and we're going to continue to do that. We're doing things during the summer, but also this tonight, what we're doing um, is a night of corporate prayer and worship. And we're not doing a class at the beginning of this month. It's just going to be a time of prayer and worship. I, I'm not sure if we're going to meet in here or in the youth room, uh, but there's going to be a time for us to just come together. And I would encourage you to come. I know it's hard if, if you have kids to come uh, because we don't have child care, but if there's any way that you can make it, um, we would love for you to come tonight at 6 p.m. for a time of just hearing from God, praying, singing, and just uh, crying out to Him. Nothing more than that, not that we need more than that. So I hope you can come 6 p.m. tonight to pray with us. Also, if you are going to go to the Gospel Encounter or want more information about it, please see Pastor Wayne. He'll be outside yelling Gospel Encounter. That's at least what I heard him doing after this first service. So make sure to see him uh, and there. There's also continued fundraising for the youth as they prepare to go to camp. Those are the announcements today, uh, but I want to make sure that uh, we get those things in your hand. If you want more information, we have more announcements than that. Make sure to go to Facebook or to our website. All right, let's get to Titus. Let's get to Titus. Enough of these announcements today. Let's get to Titus. Uh, one of the things that I feel burdened to do as I'm preaching is for all of us in the room to be on the same page. And it's hard to do that, um, knowing that many of us haven't heard the past parts of the text that are going through. So I want to take a moment to kind of catch us up. 
And I'll do that as short as possible, but I, I want us to remember what this book is all about. One, I'll start with this statement. This is Paul writing to his son in the ministry, Titus, and he's writing to him um, to establish these churches that are in this city called Crete, but are different from the false teachers and the cultures. What we need to remember uh, and the culture that's there, that, that stands out as a light to those people in contrast to all of the sinfulness and greed and, and individualism and all the things that you're seeing in this culture and in this contrast. What we have context. What we have to remember is this. Paul refers to Titus as a son and he tells them to and he tells Titus to raise up families that that there should be uh, basically these churches should be families they should function as families and we talked about this last week that the older and younger and men and women and all races and all kinds of people are coming together and their role within that kind of uh, community should be our primary uh, our primary understanding of church should be family not organization not institution not event not person should be family so you're not really in a church or in a community if you're just attending something to be a part of the church you're a part of a family what we've made it is not what it was intended to be Listen, all of this is good when the people of God get together and hear the spoken word and sing songs, hear, hear what God is saying to the church. But he calls us into much more than just church attendance. He calls us into family where older and younger, men and women are interacting around the gospel, living life together on the ground. This is where uh, the theology starts to get invasive. Many of us want theology to kind of float around and be up here just kind of deep thought oh God is this God is that isn't it amazing how big and how great how good God is and we just kind of let it float around here where we really start getting irritated with theology is when it starts telling us what to do This is where Paul just last week says, here's how older and younger and men and women, this is how it should live. Theology is not designed to float around the mon to float above the mundane. It's meant to mold and motivate it. We think of, we're just kind of in this mundane world and theology just kind of floats around up here. Theology or who God is should invade the very fabric of who we are and it should mold us and motivate us but when theology hits the ground we start to struggle how many of us even after hearing last week's kind of sermon you don't have to raise your hand <laughs> immediately like this we love this one I, we we use it all the time we when i say we i i actually mean we we use this one all the time that would be nice but i, I don't know if i could really do that that's hard. How many of you have ever read something out of Scripture and just goes, that's too hard? When you really start thinking about the implications of God upon our lives is when you start to see what people would really, really enjoy 
is for God to stay up there floating around in kind of his realm and then let us control our own lives and then when we mess something up, let him swoop in and kindly fix it up and then get out of our way so that we can stay in control. See, what Paul is doing here as we go into verse 11 through 15, is responding, if you will, to many of ours accusation of last week's text, verses 1 through 10, where you would read these kinds of things and go, um, that's cute and all, but I can't do that. That's too hard. And Paul is writing this to bring the motive and means, the motivation to shape and mold us into the kinds of people we're going to be if we're going to live out that which God has done, what the gospel informs us to do. This is going to push against that idea of, man, this is too hard and show us what grace and glory has done in order to empower us in this let's stand together as we read titus chapter 1 uh, titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 as we're standing let's remember this is god's word and let's also remember that we should respect it and honor it as such and our ears should be open to it for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If, if, if we're honest in this place, um, we may not say it this way, but most of us live life this way. Reacting to what is right in front of our face all the time. Our whole world is revolved around what we see as the most pressing thing that's coming against us our whole life is shaped around how can i fix this problem right now uh, oh yeah it's it's kind of cool preacher that you're talking about this kind of grace and glory yeah it's great that jesus came and died on the cross and that he's promising to appear and make all things new i just want to pay my bills Oh, it's cool that you're saying Jesus came and died on the cross. That's great. And, and it's awesome that you're saying he's going to appear and make all things new. But my marriage is horrible. I would just rather fix this. 
oh man, Jesus died on the cross, cute story, and he's appearing and he's going to make all things new. But the reality is I could care less. All I want to do is succeed. I could say, share that story over and over again. And the reality is, it's a new story every day, a new problem, a new thing that you're facing, something internally, something externally. Everything is lived within the present in our heart. We don't live in scope of or shaped by or molded by grace and glory. Our lives are spent most often just trying to make it through the present. Our biggest problem is that we are consumed by this present age rather than living in grace and glory amongst this present age. We're shaped by and consumed by. And if we were honest, your passions, your desires, your plans for success are all shaped by this present age rather than shaped by grace and glory. The big problem for people is that their motivation is what they would have for themselves, how they would want it to be rather than Rather than what this text points us to. How, look at verse uh, 12. Living godly lives in this present age. You see that at the end of verse 12? Living godly lives in this present age is so far from what we think we should be doing that our hearts that even if I say that how do I live a godly life in this present how can I do that here's the call of this text that we should live God self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age The only way that that can happen, the only way what we studied last week, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, all the kinds of people that are within this place, how do you live out what the gospel informs you to live out in this present age? How do you live self-controlled? How do you live that way? And that is only found with what is surrounding it. For the grace of God, verse 11, has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Grace is training us. And here's, here's why I have to take a minute to talk about grace. Because grace is massively misunderstood and misused. And it affects the way you live when it's misunderstood and misused. Here's what I mean. These stories may or may not be true. (laughs) Uh, Pastoral struggle. These stories may or may not have had names changed to protect the innocent. These stories for sure 
have to deal with us and our daily struggle with understanding grace. Let me give you some pastoral realities to this. Imagine, because this may or may not be true, imagine a young man and a young girl who are dating in this church. Just imagine it, because this may or may not be true. And what happens is they break up. And when they break up, there's tears and listening to R&B music and and a lot of uh, loneliness. And so the young man comes to me and says, Pastor, listen, I need you to sit down with me and my ex. She broke up with me because we have been sleeping together. Not sleeping, that's, you know, sleeping, having sex. We've been having sex. And she feels really bad. And because she doesn't understand grace, she broke up with me. So I need you to sit down and talk to her about grace. Because she's being really legalistic. And we need to have a talk with her about how God has given her the grace to stay in this relationship and keep having sex with me. And I have to kindly, uh, prayerfully sit down and explain to the young man that maybe grace is training this girl to say no to ungodliness. And that might be your name. That what you're saying grace can forgive her to do, she's actually applying grace and it's training her to say no. Young man, you don't get grace. Imagine a wife who continues to hate the role that God has placed upon us and created created you to walk in and has spent their lives pursuing their own selfish gain rather than dying to self to care for her husband and children. And no matter how much she's confronted no matter how much she has continued to point to the freedom and the reality of the gospel, she just says, listen, give me grace while I do this. Give me grace. She doesn't understand grace. Just for the very reality that she's asking for grace. She should be asking for mercy, for sure. But asking for grace to continue to pursue idolatrous things at the sacrifice of her family. She doesn't get grace. Imagine the older man who, because of how long he's lived and he knows He's saved by grace. That he's come to a point in his life where he's resting in this work that's been done for him. And because he's saved by grace, he's excused himself to be grumpy 
and have an attitude and constantly be critical of all those who are younger and don't do things the way he thinks things should be done. And as he sits and waits for the day he stands before God, he rests in his reality of being saved by grace and doesn't believe that grace should train him to be kind and loving and supportive and fathering. He doesn't understand what it means to be saved. Imagine the older woman who has chosen to spend the last part of her life on the phone and in person spitting venom of gossip about every person that they can think of or that has crossed their path. Because they feel like they have because she feels like she has lost her purpose Because she feels like she doesn't have control anymore, she spends her life talking, spreading cancer throughout the body, completely destroying those around her. She's an old gossip. But she said the prayer. And she finds rest in grace. Grace was a place that confronted her and trained her. And now she finds just what she calls rest. She doesn't know grace. What about the employee who is absolutely lazy? Who only is working for a paycheck while robbing others of hours and continuing to work at just minimum standards just so they can't get fired. Hates the job. Hates everybody there but continues to work and complains when that direct deposit is more than five minutes late. You know, if it's late, they're on the phone. And every week they come to this room and they come and partake of communion and they eat and drink and talk about God's saving grace and oh, thank you for saving me, but they haven't seen that grace applied and trained and lived out in such a way where their work becomes worship unto God and that their whole lives are a reflection of the beauty and glory of the one who saved them. Imagine someone who spends their whole life blaming everybody else 
for not having grace and not letting them into the community or into the family or into the people. And they just sit with bitterness and anger in their hearts, isolated from the church, never attending, talking about everybody else. Imagine the person who's sitting in isolation and loneliness and pointing a finger at the whole community saying, it's their fault. They should just show me grace. This is who I am. You don't understand grace. The reason why those people, fictional people, are living in that manner and living in that way is because they say they understand grace. But what Paul points out here is for us to walk in this godliness and live in the way we should in this present age, we have to understand the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives upright and godly in this present age first thing you need to learn about grace grace is jesus it's not some abstract thing that just floats around here that you just grab a hold of whenever you need a piece of grace grace is jesus when you think about grace don't just think about oh it's just a beautiful kind of personality trait Grace is a person. It's Jesus. Grace has appeared, is what 11 says. It's appeared in the person of Jesus who lived the life we should have lived, who died the death we should have died, who raised from the grave, conquering sin and death, and has placed His Spirit in His people living through us. This grace, this Jesus, empowers us to bring us out of this old kingdom this death kingdom to bring us out of the kingdom of this world and bring us into this new kingdom the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of our God and Lord Jesus Christ this grace does not mean that you can do whatever you want to do this grace does not mean you can live however you want and God will always forgive you. This grace, this Jesus, trains you. Grace trains you. What does it train you to do? It trains you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Huh. It's hard to get an amen out of you all this morning. Will you give me one? Okay. Trains you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And it calls that self-control. Here's, here's what I think a lot of you really live your life like. Waiting for the Holy Spirit, because here's what you believe will take place, to come and just make you do good things. Now, 
I can hear that based on people's prayers like, Lord, make me do this. Lord, make me do that. Lord, take this away. Lord, may, if you don't want me to do this, then, then, then come and just kind of stop me. Rather than us seeing the grace that has been given and the spirit that has given us gifts and empowered us and one of the spiritual things that God gives to us one of the spirit's gifts to us is something called self-control that's hard because we're thinking spirit control means we're just kind of out of body versus here's what the spirit does It gives you the power to have self-control. And you're like, well, that's something I already have. Believe me, you don't have self-control. You are controlled by your worldly passions and desires. You're a slave, Scripture says. You are controlled by it. You don't have control. The very fact of that is you can't say no to something. Here's what it does. It gives it, it trains us. His spirit's breathed into us and gives us something called self-control. And it feels a lot like this. Let me, let me teach you what self-control feels a lot like. Your worldly passions start to give you desires and you get opportunity. And here's what it trains you to do. You get to say, nope. Did you all realize that by the help of the spirit, you can say no to things that have controlled you before? that's hard now you can do it it's hard to say no to things what does it mean to be self-controlled and upright and godly what does that mean well self-controlled is that we now by the spirit can say no and we can control ourselves upright means we can now by grace love and serve others and what does it mean to be godly that we can now be self-controlled or we can live by grace in our relationship with god we can live now reconciled with ourselves with others and with god because of grace so grace teaches us to control ourselves and our passions and it teaches us to treat people upright or just and it teaches us to have a godly right relationship with God but it enables it enables us and energizes us by giving us grace God's grace is our teacher isn't that good but If you want people to actually live this out, then there's no way that I can sit here and emphasize that you better do these things. Instead, you better see what Paul is saying here. He's saying grace has appeared and salvation has been brought to all people so that we now, through God's grace, have been given all we need to have these things. Then there's this word glory. Isn't this interesting? Grace, then glory. And we're kind of in this present age 
between these two. Glory is this. The New Testament speaks much more often of Christ's appearing than his coming. We talk about him coming, blowing everything up, and getting us out of here. Scripture talks more often about his appearing, the idea that Christ will appear. He's coming, and he's going to appear, and he's going to make all things new. And those things that are hidden and glorified, namely Christ, are going to be seen, and we're going to see the world made new and under Jesus' authority, and one day this glory will be revealed. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Those things things that are hidden from us and we're so consumed by this 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 present age and we lose track and lose sight of that which is true those things will be revealed and we will see Christ and we will be reigning and ruling with him and all things will be made new if this is our truth of the if this is the truth of the gospel then this should give us hope this ain't going to stop me, baby. This should give us hope. This should give us hope. The reason why that kind of gospel doesn't give us hope is because we don't believe he's coming again. We should have new hope. Anything in this world is not better than what we will have in Christ. Here's... Here's how the saints throughout history have made it through suffering and pain and trials and tribulations. Here's how they have persevered in this present age. You want to know how? The reason they can say no to things in this world is because they believe that this has nothing on what they will have when he appears. The reason why you're consuming all you can get now is because you... There's no hope in him returning because you just want, this is good. I better get filled with this. The only way I can say no to that is because I got something better coming. That the people of God are filled with hope and the pleasures of sin does not attract us so strongly when it's compared to what we can have in him when he comes. New love. We have new love in Christ. Many of us are looking for love. But the reality is love is the greatest motivator to walk in this present age. When you understand how much Christ loved you and you get to be in love with him and there's this real loving covenantal relationship, then that covenant informs the way I live. And the only way I can give an example of that for me is that there is nothing in me that feels a burden to have to serve my wife and have to say no to other things so that I can serve my wife. Why? Not because she wrote it on a honeydew list but because I love her and she loves me and it's because of that covenant that it changes the way I live my life that covenant is nothing compared to the covenant we have with Christ what else we're a new identity get this 
Get this, new identity. He says it here in verse 12. Look at the, or verse 14. Who gave himself to redeem us from the law uh, and from lawlessness, from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. Here's what the people of God need to hear. You are purchased and you are possessed. He owns me. He owns me. I am joyfully submitted to him. I am his child. He's purchased me. He's possessed me. This is different than legalism because legalism would say you need to do righteous things so that you can be a righteous person. But the gospel says, no, look at what Christ has done. He has purchased you and he possesses you and he has given you a gift. And this is God's grace. So that what? You can be zealous for good works. I wish this would come back into the fabric of who we are as a church, that we would be more concerned about being zealous for good works than we would be, am I doing what's right and wrong? Listen, there's things we need to say no to, but the reality, the mark of somebody who is possessed by Christ is that they are zealous to do good things. Is that how people describe you? Zealous to do good works. And why are they zealous to do good works? Because they're a witness. A witness of Jesus and his grace and glory. I gotta take one second to to highlight the importance of this. Because this is this kind of teaching has kind of vanished, if you will, from the church. We don't talk often about how is your life a display of God's grace and glory to everybody around you. If people were to look at you, would they see and witness the grace and glory of Christ? Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. What that means is you're walking in submission to Him and that He's walking with you and walking through you. And there's this, there's this reality of how that looks and that you're zealous for good, good works. Many of us are more consumed by our present life than we are about the fame of God being spread throughout the world. That they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There are things that I do, and I'm going to continue this illustration because we need to end. But there are things that I do not because I think I'm going to do something wrong against my wife. But because I don't want people to think or see or even believe that my eyes are on some other woman. I won't drive alone with another woman. I'm not going to go hang out. You're not going to just see me sitting, you know, by myself with somebody else. Why? Not because I think I, can, I can't do that. Because I don't want anybody thinking, man, poor Dana. She's got a husband who's just out there doing his thing. Does any, has anybody told her? There are every part of my life, I'm not just thinking through, what do I want? So much 
of why my life has been so transformed is because I'm thinking, what are people going to think of Jesus if they see how my life is being lived right now? That the witness of Jesus amongst his church needs to become a primary focus of ours. What is the world seeing about Christ? That doesn't mean, oh, let's do everything to please everybody around us. This is not people pleasing. This is about spreading the fame of Jesus throughout the world. Why? Because I want people to know who he is. I want to represent him well. He so loved me. He so poured out his grace and glory upon me. And I want the world to see it. That's why Paul says, don't don't be ashamed. Just say it. (laughs) Speak about it. Confront it. Church, here's what I'm going to do. Two things. We're going to open up the side for people who want prayer. I'm going to ask the deacons to come right now, elders to come and just stand over here. If you want prayer, there's going to be people praying for you. They're going to start singing. We're going to worship together. And then the communion tables are going to be open. If you want prayer before you take communion, let somebody pray. If you could come right now, deacons and elders, um, let somebody pray for you. Otherwise, the tables will be open any time for you to come and to to partake of this grace and glory, to set your mind on Him. I'm praying that grace and glory will so shape you today that it will change and train you in this life. That you have all that you need in Christ to live this stuff out. It's going to be hard. Yeah, but you have Jesus. You have His Spirit. It means things may get cut out. It means things you might have to say no to. It may mean mean things that you have to walk away from. It may mean a lot of sacrifice, but I'm going to tell you this. Here's what it does mean. That you're living in this place so thankful for the grace that's been given to you and awaiting His appearing and that that informs how you live right now. The the tables are open. We're going to sing and worship together if you need prayer. Come to the front. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.